Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And joining me today is internationally known author, speaker and leading thinker in consciousness and contemporary spirituality, Peter Russell. He uh, has studied uh, theoretical physics as well as psychology at the University of Cambridge. And he's also delved uh, into uh, the depths of meditation and Eastern philosophy in India. Uh, He's uh, created and, and published many books uh, one, of course, the famous one is the global brain. He gave uh, that term to us. Um, it was a 1980 bestseller. And uh, it, it's a fascinating idea in which he predicted uh, the Internet. So that the, another breakthrough moment. His latest book uh, comes as an Eckhart Tolle edition. And it's entitled Letting Go of Nothing, which I love. Letting go of nothing, little tongue-in-cheek double entendre there. Uh, Relax your mind and discover the wonder of your true nature. So it's a pleasure to welcome Peter Russell to the show. Welcome. Glad you're with us. Thank you. Lovely to be with you. Looking forward to this. This is a wonderful book, isn't it, Uh, of what I'd like to call practical spirituality. You know, it's it's free of jargon, which is nice, you know, not – Not that there's anything terrible about jargon, but sometimes it gets in the way uh, of our direct understanding. But these these short chapters um, focus on a variety of themes, but but the overarching theme uh, is the same, isn't it? And and that is releasing our attachment to what is inherently not real so that we can spend more time focusing on what is real. And also the chapters, um, it seems to me, you know, provide... um, times of contemplation, right? So we can read it, but then we can contemplate the the ideas and the concepts. I, I can't remember. It could have been Meckhart Tolle himself that said that, uh, you know, this is a book you can read in a day, but it's also a book uh, that you can contemplate for a lifetime because there's, there's a lot <laughs> yes. of wisdom. Yes, yes. And I, I wanted to write it that way. It's not a I tried writing it earlier as a sort of book of, you know, chapter one, we explore this, chapter two, we go with this, and then we'll see in chapter three and four. And, you know, to be honest, I got bored with it, doing it that way. And then I realized a much more exciting way for me to do it is just a series of very short pieces, each of which is sort of independent in a way, and yet they build on each other. But each one is just, you know, we read in, you know, 
couple of minutes, three or four minutes, and has its own little message, its own teaching, its own practical advice in some way or another. And it's great. I'm finding a lot of people are treating it that way, like reading one piece a day or just opening it at random and reading a bit. So, yeah, that, right. that's the way I designed it, because I like doing that myself. I don't like long, big treaties anymore. I like short little things. Well, it's it's nice to be able to take it deep, you know, within you, isn't it? You know, to t- I, I just like to open a book sometimes and come across yeah. a, a phrase or a sentence and and it, it speaks to me, you know, and then I'll contemplate that for a while. You know, that that's because that's an ancient technique of, of, of looking at writing in that way. But I think it's mm-hmm. very helpful, you know, and we're filled to the brim, aren't we, with information. So sometimes it's good not to to read yet another book on a subject right. you know, we, we yeah. take the ideas and the, uh, you know the, clarify them and take them deep in inside us why is why is it that so much of, of who we are is based on misidentification right the, otherwise we wouldn't need to let go would we uh, but we 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 create realities that aren't realities yes exactly i mean we, we live most of the time in a sort of our own constructed reality and we have our own interpretations of it, our own projections. I mean, every one of us sees the world in a slightly different way due to our past, our conditioning, our experiences, you know, our background, all of that. And that's adding a whole layer to reality, which, you know, it's a construction added to reality. And that, that I think, creates so many um, places where we go wrong. We start getting judgmental about somebody unnecessarily. We start getting upset. We start worrying. All this stuff comes from really just how we see things. And that's, I mean, you mentioned the title as, you know, it's an it's definitely a sort of um, play on words. It's letting go of nothing. It's both, as you said, you know, what we're letting go of, it's not really real in itself. What we're letting go of is the way we see things. And the way we see things is not actually a thing in itself. I sometimes use the example of, If you're looking at the world through blue spectacles, you see everything as blue, but you don't see the spectacles themselves. In the same way, if we're looking through the world through the eyes of, um, just say, fear, we see the world coloured by that perception, but we don't see the fear. But that's what we need to let go of, is is that mindset inside. So that's not actually a thing in itself. And so that's one of the meanings of letting go of nothing. We're letting go of the no thing of our mindsets our way of seeing things you know the buddha talked about the the two arrows uh, you, know, you know the first arrow is where you get hit by life and it's painful uh, the second arrow is where you begin to internalize that pain and turn it into some kind of suffering you know which can exactly. often lead into yeah. story yeah. right and this is what we're talking about here we're not trying to say i think this is what you're saying we're not trying to say that life isn't tough, right? The, you know, pain happens. Um, the arrow hits you sometimes. Um, but we internalize so much about that arrow and that pain that then we, we create an illusory reality based on it and, and carry that around with us, you know, sometimes for our whole life. Yeah? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's sometimes summed up. People say, you know, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And mm-hmm. well, that's referring to the same thing. You know, yes, we get. We get hit by something, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, whatever it is. We have some pain, discomfort. And then because we don't like it, I mean, pain is uncomfortable by its very nature because we don't like it and we want to, you know, return to being happy. 
we, we, you know, we start resisting. Oh, I wish this weren't there. This is getting in my way. I wish I weren't feeling this, whatever it is. And that we resist it. And that resistance is where the suffering comes from. And that's what I'm interested in, particularly in this book, is, is how do we let go of that resistance, let go of our judgment, let go of our interpretation so that we can be with reality as it is, see it as it is. And when we do that, it actually turns out it's often easier to bear than when we're sort of resisting it and suffering over it. You mentioned that, you know, letting go is hard. Um, and I think sometimes we try and force it, you know, <laughs> it, it, you yeah. can't force letting go. And yet, you know, unfortunately, we try and, you know, make it happen. And that's the worst thing we can do, right? Because we, we are resisting again. We're bolstering yes. it. So, so exactly. you suggest um, before we can let it go, really, we have to let it in, right? You have to acknowledge that it's there. I mean, uh, it, the, the greatest breakthrough you can have is just owning your stuff, right? You know, well, you know, here I am, you know, losing my my mind. Um, yes. That could be more healthy than trying to deny that there's anything wrong, right? We, uh, right. Unity, by the way, is kind of bad in that way because we want to sometimes, well, I think we're learning, but sometimes we want to put a positive gloss on everything. And, you know, it's all good, whatever. Well, sometimes there's no good, right? It's it sucks, yeah. but... Letting that in and acknowledging that is a way to release it, right? It's, it's counterintuitive, but it's a profound uh, technique, I think. Exactly. And this is, I mean, something I've sort of discovered in my own life and been playing with a lot. Because what we tend to do is, you know, we, underneath everything, we want to feel okay. That's basic, our basic motivation, whether you call it wanting to be happy or peace or whatever, peace of mind. We want to feel okay. And so when something comes along that's uncomfortable, we feel it's in the way of our being okay. And so what we do is like, we push it to the back of our mind, or I won't think about it. I don't want to feel that. I want to feel okay. But when we do that, right. we're, not, we're not letting go of it. And I think it was Carl Jung who said, what you resist persists. I mean, it may not be there in our consciousness, but it's there in the back of our mind, still running us. And it's going to come back again sooner or later. So what I found is doing the opposite, rather than trying to get rid of it, push it away, is to actually let it in and in fact this is any any pain whether you know it's a physical pain or something emotional whatever any discomfort like that it's a call for attention it's actually saying hey there's something wrong here this is you know there's an alarm bell going off this is the organism's way of attracting attention it's like there's an alarm bell going off and so rather than putting a blanket over the alarm bell i mean if if, if a fire alarm went off you put a blanket over it just keep it quiet you say that's stupid you say hey Something's happening. Where's the fire? And I think it's the same with any, any discomfort, not just physical pain, but some emotional upset or something or just feeling lousy in oneself. It's like, OK, let me give it attention rather than trying to get rid of it. Let me give it my attention, which means you know, opening up to it and and being curious. I emphasize curiosity a lot, a lot. It's a way of sort of just being interested interesting what's actually going on here so you know i'm feeling upset at somebody so you know pausing and being quiet and just tuning into the body what's going on here it's like you might oh i'm feeling you know a slight tension in my jaw okay and what else what else is going on oh there's this sort of you know i'm feeling a slight knot in my stomach okay and what i'm just being curious as to what's going on in the body letting it in and then i say having let it in don't try to change it then let it be. So it's a combination of letting in 
and letting be, just allowing it to be there. And then when we do that, what usually happens is the letting go begins to happen on its own. It's like it begins to relax because when we're resisting, there's always a tension. And when you stop resisting and allowing the experience to be there, a gentle relaxation tends to happen. And, and the letting go begins to just come on, it, on its own. We don't have to do letting go. As you said, it's hard to do. And people say, oh, I tried to let go. I couldn't do it. And I think that trying to do it is half of the problem. We're already doing too much in terms of we're doing the holding on, we're resisting, whatever it is. And so it's, uh, it's doing the opposite of just actually stopping the doing, stopping the resisting and just and allowing the process to happen naturally. So it's really about, I think, creating the right mental conditions, the relaxation in which the letting go can begin to happen. I had a teacher once who said uh, when you have, you know, a problem or whatever and you're resisting it, um, continue to resist it, you know, blow it up like a balloon, um, make it the most awful thing that's ever happened, you know, I'll never yeah. get through it or whatever, awfulize it until it becomes so ridiculous, the, the, the balloon eventually bursts, you know. Yes. And, and that's the ultimate letting in, isn't it? It's, yes. it's like yes. saying, okay, bring it, bring it on, you know, let's see how bad it can be yes. until you, yes. until you make, it, make it ridiculous, you know, and... Uh, and I like that technique, actually. I don't want to fill my mind all, all the time with authorizing, but uh, but sometimes when you're dwelling on something, just dwell on it until it becomes, you know, absurd, yeah. if you like. Yes. It's it's all about, it's you know, accepting reality, facing reality. This is what's going on, rather than trying to push reality away, covering it up. Which I say, you know, that's that's the thing we tend to do because we don't want to feel discomfort. Or we don't want to feel a bad emotion, so we we want to avoid it, get rid of it. But we want to basically we want to be free of it. But trying to avoid it or push it away or whatever, push it down, suppress it, isn't actually getting rid. Isn't actually getting free of it. So it, it's doing the opposite. We you know we get free of it by really getting into it, feeling what's there, and not not just feeling what's there in the body, but also you know what's the story going on? Because with any emotion, there's also some Something we're telling ourselves, so if we're upset about something somebody did say, it's like, okay, we're telling ourselves how that person did wrong, they're an awful person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, why, often why we're better, why we would never have done that, that sort of thing. And as you see the story, as you let it in, you begin to say, well, hang on, actually, you know, what might they have been thinking? Why might they have, you know, done that? And what's going on with them? And, you know, maybe they had a hard time with their partner yesterday or something or whatever it was. We've no idea. But we can begin to open up and be more we can be more compassionate towards them and sort of begin to see the world through their eyes. And that, again, allows us to let go of the judgments we've projected onto the person and begin to see them as they are, as another vulnerable human being making their own way through life. What you're saying is there's very little that we need to identify with in terms of the world, right, and all the conditions. We think we have to hold on so tightly. And you have a wonderful story about, uh, what is it, the parable, parable of the rope, right? The guy holding on to the <laughs> rope because he thinks he's going to fall. And, yes. uh, you know, the, the teacher advises him to let go of, you know, one finger at a time. And, and, and eventually he lets go, even though he doesn't want to, he lets go of the whole rope 
and nothing happens. Good, the kicker is because he's been standing on the ground all this time, and you know, sort of a guffaw comes in your mind. But but yeah, it's the idea that underneath, you know, is is spirituality, right? It's the, yeah. it's the foundation. And Yes, and, and that's true of all of us, right? We we think we're dangling if we don't hold on, but really we're we're in God's arms all the time, or in in the in the um, power the un, underneath the the undergirding of spirit is always there for us. Yes, yes, that's I mean in that parable, I equate it. You know, the idea is we, we're standing in the ground of our own being. There's that you know, right? That yes, inner inner steadfastness, securities. Stillness yeah. as well, inner stillness. That here I am, and all the holding on is sort of, is in a way we're trying to get to somewhere and not realizing we're already there. Ultimately, we're already there, but we don't, we don't see it, we don't observe it because our minds get so caught up in fear and worry and concern and projection and fantasies and hoping and all that stuff. All of which, you know, where it's geared towards how, how can we actually be more at peace. And yet, ironically, all of that, you know, worrying, et cetera, et cetera, stops us being at peace. I mean, I kind of think this is the sad joke about human beings. We so much want to be at peace, you know, to find that inner stillness, whatever. Um, but we don't because we're, we're taking our attention in the opposite direction the whole time. Well, I remember when I was a kid and the, the Beatles song Let It Be came out. And my mother yeah. said, oh, no, I don't like that idea. You know, letting something be, you know, that's so passive. It's surrendering. And, and I think a lot of people have a problem with letting things be, you know, because we're supposed to be the can-do society, right? We're always right. changing. We're, we're all, and we're in control, you know, it can't be out of control. But, but really right. letting be is opening up a larger sense, a more expansive sense of who you are, right? So so that more good can flow. That, it's not like a passive thing at all. It's the probably the most active and, and creative thing you can do yeah yes yes and i think letting be is sometimes um i see it in a slightly different way in which it's normally seen you know, like let it be we normally think is like accept the situation accept this this is what's happening accept what's happening in the world and i don't see letting be as like that it's not about accepting the world there's a lot of things we need to attend to in the world ways in which we can make it better for others for ourselves. there's lots of things we can do so it's not about accepting the situation and saying oh just let it be don't worry it's more about accepting our experience in the moment so if you're feeling upset accepting that if you're whatever you're feeling accepting that if you're feeling you know some desire you really want something to happen in the world then notice that notice how it feels so so the letting it be is not so much about letting things be in the world which is the way it's usually interpreted but it's about letting your experience be so you know letting this the experience in and and allowing it to be there not trying to change your experience and that's that's when the release begins to happen i find it's powerful stuff, you know. It's it's like an open secret, isn't it? It it's hidden openly within our own consciousness. Once once we get it, once we understand it, then we say, "Oh yeah, of course, that's so obvious." But until we yeah. find it, until we wake up to it, it it seems to be uh, hidden. But it's it's natural. And you talk about that, you know, natural mind and many of the great traditions of the the world talk about this naturalness. Um, 
you know, whether it be uh, Dzogchen in, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, you know, the natural great perfection or Sri Nagasagata Maharaj in India talked about the natural way, right? It's it's acting, acting, there's another Beatles song. It's acting naturally, right? Yes, it's just yes. being, being who we are naturally, effortlessly, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and what, what, the way I use natural mind when I introduce it in the book, it's more... Is that our natural state of mind, uh, by which I don't mean their normal state of mind. The normal state of mind, you know, of a lot of us most of the time is feeling concerned, discontent, mm-hmm. whatever, worry. The natural state of mind is how we feel when we're not worried, when we're not concerned, when we're not busy planning or reminiscing. It's when we let all that go, how do we feel? And basically, when we let all that go, we feel okay. So I say the natural state of mind is one of contentment. It's feeling okay. It, there can be happiness there. There can be ease, a sense of ease, peace of mind. You know, we talk about a lot. Peace of mind is our, is our natural state of mind. And that's what we're looking, basically, that's what we're looking to return to. And I say it's natural. It's just if everything is okay in our world, if, you know, we're fed, there's no danger, we're warm, we're closed, etc. If everything's okay, then we feel okay inside. When things aren't okay, when there's something wrong, you know, we, we go out and it's pouring with rain and we're cold. We feel discontent. We don't feel okay. We go in and put on some warmer clothes. We feel content again. We feel better again. So the natural, the natural motivation of life is to return to feeling okay. But where we get, I think, caught up is we start looking at the, is what can we do? Will I feel okay tomorrow? What if this happens? What if that happens? And all of this worry and concern and thinking and planning that overshadows the natural state of contentment because in one way or another, most of our thinking is about, is about discontent or avoiding discontent. It's, some of our thinking may be you know, about being content, etc., but most of it isn't. And so it's like if we're so busy creating discontent in ourselves, worrying what might happen or did we do the right thing yesterday, we can't feel content. And so we, that state of natural mind is continually being veiled by, by the thinking mind. And I think this is what, you know, so many teachers have seen and pointed out. And that's, you know, when we, when we let go of that, then we just drop back into this quality of natural mind. And it's like, ah, yes, there's a sense of relief. Ah, here I am, that quality of, of being that it's always there, but we don't notice it when we're so busy in that busy doing, thinking, concerned mode. And unfortunately, with this is the the tendency to, to towards discontent and struggle is reinforced, you know, by society. I, I'm being lazy if I'm doing nothing and just naturally being me. Right. You know, that, what right. a waste! I mean, I, I got to be concerned and. How can you not think about all the terrible things that are happening on this planet? You know, how can you have a natural, relaxed mind when there's so much to, de- to deal with? Um, you know, so so we, we sabotage ourselves, don't we, in so many ways, um, unfortunately, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. beat ourselves up, even for those moments of, uh, or, or their luxuries rather than the, the reality of who we are. It's a sad state of affairs in a way. It is. It is because... If we're just caught up in, if we're just caught up in, you know, the worry, concern, what's happening in the world, um, 
we can't be as effective in our action. We may be, you know, there may be a lot of motivation that comes from the, you know, the, the discontent. But I think we all know, you know, if, if we come at things, if we make decisions from a place of inner stability and calm, we're going to make better decisions. And so I see it, you know, what we need in life is a balance. Yes, we need to be out there. We need to be doing things, changing things, looking after ourselves, looking after other people, whatever it is, we need to be doing that. But we need to step back from time to time and come back to ourselves, come back to that still center, just to reconnect with ourself. And, and with that, there comes a clarity of mind that we can begin to see more clearly what is the best course of action. And also in that state, there's, there's more compassion and love. So we can actually come back into the world with a more, with a more loving feeling towards things rather than a sort of you know, upset about this is bad, that's bad. We can come back more open, more compassionate. So it's really important we have this balance in life. We have times where we're doing things, but times when we step back and just come back and have that inner nourishment. It's so important to have that inner nourishment that actually keeps us feeling secure and safe in the world. We're complicated beings, aren't we? You spent some time oh, yes. <laughs> talking about it in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, that we're, we're an innovative species. Uh, we, we have some gifts like imagination where we can create whole worlds and and the, some of the greatest art and, and music and poetry has come from that and science as well, um, you know, for, from that ability. But but it also, you know, it's part of the human condition. It, it keeps us a little bit restless and separated. So it's a double-edged sword, right? So we have we have to walk that path. In India, they call it the razor's edge, right? We have to walk lightly yes. on the on the razor's edge. Um, and that's that's just life, right? We, we, we know we're going to die. Um, but yet here we are trying to live. So, it, it, you know, the, the inbuilt conundrum of simply being being ourselves. Yeah, yes, yeah, it is. It, it is. It's a it's a fine edge. But I think that's something we're, we're all learning in life. I think that that's part of our, our path is to it's going to recognize that, you know, it isn't all about doing. It is about being as well. It's that balance between doing and being. Doobie dooby doo, as they sometimes say, but we get so caught up in doing, we just we forget, we forget to be. And yet there's nothing to do in being. We just need to stop the doing and just come back to coming back to it. You know, I think, of course, in miracles talked about is coming home, just coming home to ourselves. And yet, yes. you know, we're so creative. You know, the creativity, as you say, is great. It allows us to do all these things. And so much comes out of our imagination. I mean, everything, every creative thing we're doing starts in our imagination. Hold that thought, Peter. I hear the music. Okay. We're coming to our break. I'm with Peter Russell. Join me and Peter in a couple of minutes after these messages from Unity. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. Welcome back to the show. I'm with Peter Russell, uh, internationally known thought leader, author, 
His new book is a subject of our discussion today. It's called Letting Go of Nothing. Relax your mind and discover the wonder of your true nature. And as part of that, one of the chapters is there is no such thing as ego. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, so how, how how would you uh, describe that? And I, of course, I agree with you, but uh, but not, it's right. not quite as that because the very next chapter is letting go of ego. So right, right, there is right. Uh, there's some it's, construct here. Yes, it's one. Yeah, again, I mean, I it's um, it's deliberately provocative. Like what? As you say, <laughs> what? What do you mean? Of course, there's such a thing as ego. The emphasis is on thing. It's like, like in the title of the book, letting go of nothing is letting go of no thing. We're not letting go of things. And it's the same way I'm pointing out the ego is not a thing. If I look inside myself, I don't find some separate part of me, some entity, some separate self called ego. I don't, I don't find that. What I find is me, this sense of I am, this sense of being, and I find lots of different thoughts and feelings and perceptions. And some of those thoughts may be self-centered. You, know, you may call them egos, egotistical. So I find, I find egocentric thinking or egocentric feelings going on, but I don't find a thing. So I see the ego not as a thing, but more as a verb, as a process we get in, as a way of thinking. I sometimes say, you know, we are egoing or I am egoing. So it isn't some it isn't something we have. It's more of a mode of thinking that we get caught in. And so when we talk about letting go of ego, what happens in so many spiritual circles is, oh, the ego, we've got to get rid of the ego. We've got to transcend the ego. You know, we've got to conquer it. It's, it's an enemy, whatever it is. And I just see it as a way we get as a way of thinking we get caught in from time to time, then it's a whole different approach to letting go of it. It's not getting rid of something, but it's actually pausing a mode of thinking. It's stepping out of that way of thinking. So when we find ourselves egoing, getting caught in the egoing, we can actually say, uh-uh, ah, okay, there I go again, um, and step out of it. And it's not an enemy either. It's, I mean, the root of this way of thinking is actually this self-centered way of thinking is to help us survive. It's there to help the organism survive, to keep it safe, to ensure our well-being. If there's something that needs attending to in the world, something going wrong or there's some danger, then this way of thinking is really important. It needs to come in and say, hey, look, you know, this is happening. You need to, there's a bus coming at you, whatever it is, you need to, you need to move. And it needs to be this, you know, this insistent voice, do this. But so much of the time, you know, we're doing perfectly well. There's no danger and needs are met. And yet this same way of thinking gets triggered. Oh, you know, I, I must tell this person this. It's really important, whatever. We get this insistent voice coming in. And what we really need to do is just recognize it and say, OK, I know you're trying to help. It's like in a way this voice is an ally rather than an enemy. And it's like saying, OK, you know, I know I know you're trying to help, but right now you're really getting in the way. Thank you very much. So it's, I take the attitude of thank you for caring. But you know, right now you're not necessary and just letting it go and it'll come back again. It's not like once you let it go, you're free of ego for the rest of your life. But when we let it go, we can just come back to come back to natural mind. It's that ego mind that gets in the way of natural mind so we can just let that ego in go it's like ah 
thank you. Here I am just coming back that bit closer to ourselves and that sense of inner ease and relief. We begin to touch into that again. So that's what I mean. The ego is the, there is no such thing as ego. There is certainly the ego in. There is certainly the ego mind, which um, I know Eckhart Tolle talks about a lot. But it's not actually a thing to be beaten or got rid of. It's a way of thinking to be left behind. It's a bit like having a body, isn't it? And I'm, I'm, I need a body to maneuver around in this world. Um, but, but if I'm thrusting my body forward as the only thing that's real about me, then you know, I become obsessed with the way it looks or whatever. Then yeah. I'm not really presenting a very interesting thing to anybody else except the right, body. Right, right. And I think it's the same with the ego. You know, um, it can be used for its own help. You know, usefulness, but uh, it certainly isn't um, the reality of who we are. Another thing I found is that you know when I when I allow myself to express from the natural inherent who I am, whatever it is. You know, we can call it many terms, but they sometimes get in the way. That just the natural beingness. Um, it's expansive, right? It's free. It's light. It's joyous. It's um, it has it's having fun, you know. Whereas yes. my ego, it's not always having fun, you know. It's it's it's, 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 it's threatened and, and and it always has to puff itself up. Whereas the natural me, the expansive me, which is everything, right, and nothing at the same time, is always giving. It's magnanimous. It's generous. You know, it's a wonderful place to be. Exactly, exactly. And the, the ego mind basically is living in fear. It's, it's concerned about what might go wrong or am I going to lose this? Can I keep this? Whatever it is. It, but it's coming out of fear and it, its mode of action is control. It's basically yeah. trying to keep things under control so that it's, it's the body again. You mentioned the body. It's so that this organism can survive, so that this organism is safe. So it's, very, it's a very body oriented thing it comes out of looking off wants to look after the body keep it safe so it's about keeping in control but you know most of the time we don't need it and that's the sad thing we we don't need it when, when we do need it it's great but then it's just like when we let it go it's like we can come back to just being without trying to control things being open to our experience open open to what is and and resting in that in that natural quality of peace which you think is part of our true nature now, you have a chapter on who am I, and, and, and that question has been well used in, in spiritual circles, you know, ever since um, I think Ramana Maharshi, you know, was the one that really talked about self-inquiry, but it's yes. an ancient practice. But, uh, you, you know, uh, who am I? Just identifying with the body and the ego and the even the mind and, and until you come back to that essence that we're talking about. But you also have something called Where Am I? And I thought that was interesting. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, if you ask somebody, you know, where am I? Um, you know, the first answer is, well, here, of course. You know, I'm right here. OK, well, what do you mean by here? Whereabouts are you in the world? And what most people say, well, I'm, you know, somewhere, you know, I'm in my head. And we think that's, you know, we feel ourselves to be, in the head somewhere that's what most people would say and we think you know that's it feels that way and because the brain is in the head we must feel consciousness is in the head so i am you know my consciousness is in the head so i'm in the head but what i propose is that where we place ourselves in the world is nothing to do with where 
the brain is. It's actually to do with where our senses are and our primary senses of location, a sight, sight, you know, we're at the center of how we see the world and hearing gives us a sense of location. And so what's happening when we experience the world is the brain is taking in all this information from sight and sound and the other senses and it's creating its experience of reality and it places reality if you like around us so it places ourself the sense of i we place our sense of self at the center of our world but the center of our world is determined by the senses where the senses are and so i suggest a thought experiment for people just a thought experiment whereby what would happen if your eyes were put moved down to your knees and your ears were put down to your knees. So you went around the world, you were seeing the world from where your knees are, and you're hearing the world from where your knees are. Where would you experience yourself to be in the world? Where would your sense of I be? And if you think about it, you would actually be, you place yourself at the center of your perceived world, which would be down in your knees. And this isn't, and I say a thought experiment, you can actually these days do a similar sort of experiment in virtual reality. It's called telepresence is the technical term for it. But, but what you do is you, you give a person, you know, a virtual reality headset with, you know, stereo um, audio and with, you know, 3D video. And then you connect the video and the, the audio to a robotic head in another room. And, and, you know, what is coming in through the ears of the robotic head, what is coming in through where its eyes are, you feed that to the headset of the person in the other room. And after a couple of minutes or so of experiencing the other room, you ask a person, where, where do you feel yourself to be? Where are you? And they start imagining, well, not even imagining, they start locating themselves in the other room somewhere. And they might say, well, I, you know, and then I say, well, they might say, well, I know my, I know really my body is back in this room. But then how do you know? I could have wheeled the body out into another room. And so the point is really that we, we are not, the sense of I, the sense of, you know, I being conscious is not really located in the world. It's the other way round. We locate our sense of I as being in the center of our consciousness of the world. And so we've almost like turned things inside out instead of, you know, where am I in the world is like I am placed in the world that is appearing in my consciousness in the center of that. I know it's complex, but <laughs> I don't know if I made it simple or not. But that's what I mean by where am I It's getting over this thing that I am somehow in the brain. I am not in the brain. I am at the center of my experience. And in, in a sense, my whole experience is happening in my consciousness. So that's yes, what it's pointing it. to. I think it's fascinating that, you know, that you can do a virtual reality experiment with it too. That's, I've never yeah. come across that one before. That's, that's very interesting. But all this reminds me of uh, the work of Douglas Harding, you know, who was a great British um, uh, thought person and spiritual uh, seeker, whatever. He came up with the headless way, right? You, know, yes. you can never see your own face or your own head because no matter what, you could see it in a mirror, but it's not reality. You can never in reality see your own head, which is an interesting thought. 
So really, it's yeah. it, your 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 eyes are, are, are uh, observing from emptiness, right? From this uh, empty space be, uh, be, behind your eyes, um, and and which is the, what we're talking about, the, you know, the the consciousness that limit that is limitless. So where am I? I'm everywhere, right? I'm everywhere and nowhere, uh, mm. but but I focalize in at certain places. It, it, this begins to explain why, you know, they say some people can bilocate or, you know, shape shift or whatever, because they're they're no longer attaching themselves to their physical being, right? They're they're identifying with with other places or other beings, so that they can move uh, in, in in beyond what we think is possible. Remember one time I was meditating and um, my whole head turned to the side. My physical head didn't, but my um, whatever it was, psychic head or whatever, turned uh, 90 degrees. So I was looking, uh, I was out of my body, looking at myself from the side. Um, and I thought, wait a minute, uh, this is interesting. Uh, what happens if I can't get back, you know? But the, the minute I start thinking that, I was back in my head again. But uh, it was an interesting experience because it taught me that, you know, who I am is not dependent on my body or or my my ego was telling me this is who you are. You're right. They, they, I'm much I'm much freer than that. Yes, yes, and I think those sorts of experiences really shake us up and say, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not where or who I thought I was. Well, but most of the right. time, most people, you know, where we are, we experience the world as if we are this body in this body, and, and that's probably that's the useful way of functioning. It's very necessary for that. But that, when you have those experiences, you know, they do brings it to shake it up and say, whoops, okay, if this is possible, then who knows? Yeah, I was at the, a couple of months ago, I was at the dock by my boat that I have and um, forgot maybe that I was my body and I, I, I stepped off into the water and hit my shoulder and smashed it um, and had to have a shoulder replacement. So uh, point being, you know, we, we, yeah, we are spiritual beings, but we are in having a human experience and, and uh, sometimes you have to be mindful of, of that uh, you alluded earlier you know when you, you're driving you have to avoid you know running into other uh, there's an old hindu story isn't there about the the guru who decided he was wise now so he could do anything and he stood in front of an elephant and got trampled to death and you know it, it's um, yeah. That no, nothing could harm in him anymore. Well, the elephant killed him because yeah. we still have to obey the laws of nature here. You know, we're coming right. back to that that fine fine line, that fine balance. Shifting gears. Yeah. When I was young, um, you know, enlightenment was something that you could you had to strive for. That if you really worked hard, you might be like these amazing enlightened beings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Over time, my view of enlightenment has changed somewhat that that the linear idea of you know attaining enlightenment seems ridiculous to me now uh, because it's like a fish swimming in water you know you're always in the water of enlightenment so tell us what 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 is enlightenment from your point of view yes i mean i think i was like you i used to think it was just going to be this amazing experience you know being blissed out or whatever or, you know who knows and just you know the the more I've just, you know, meditated and practiced myself, the more I realize it's just, it's actually this letting go of letting go of this um, conditioned, false perception of things coming back, you know, what we're talking about coming back to ourselves, coming back to the ground of our own being. And we could say enlightenment. I mean, one way of looking at it is when I am just 
permanently established in that just ah here i am me this sense of i that's all this sense of i that's always there i mean that you mentioned the who am i exercise what's that po- what that is pointing to is not who am i peter russell british author blah 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 it's what is this sense of i what what does it mean that's the inquiry what is this inner sense of i that's always there been there all my life always the same unchanging and it's actually not discovering something new or i used to think you know oh discovering the true self is going to be like this amazing thing i'm going to find it's more um, recognizing what is always there but we don't notice because we're so busy doing having all that stuff we're so busy in that way we don't notice this quiet inner sense of inner being the sense of i which is it's still it's always at peace in itself it's always still while the world goes on around it and i see enlightenment is actually knowing that and it's like it's about being able to step back from the world of the ego mind from our thoughts from all those things and just be established in this quality of just pure being pure presence pure self that, that's always there but as i say we, we don't normally notice so it's, it's not about getting somewhere i mean i must get enlightened people say oh i'm going to get enlightened i want to be enlightened it's not about that at all it's more about letting go of all the things that keep us separate from our true nature which is this this quality of i this quality of being the i am that people often speak about that deep sense of i am which is always there so it's not it's not about some new marvelous experience it's about recognizing the truth the deep truth of who we are and of course the more you want it the less you can are able to have it right absolutely so absolutely talking about the resistance that's the each e- e- struggling to become enlightened then it's the furthest you can be away from it <laughs> right and, yes. uh, yeah. yeah which is kind of funny really but not uh, you, you alluded earlier to the fact that, you know, you could become someone else when you're no longer so identified with being you all the time, you know, then, then you can begin to see what it's like in somebody else's skin. And I think this is a good exercise, isn't it, in terms of, um, you know, c- developing compassion in our world, uh, seeing it from a, it could be your partner's point of view or, or somebody that doesn't agree with you politically point of view. You know, to yeah. see where they're coming from, uh, it can be very solitary, I think. It, uh, where, you know, in, in the old debating halls, you know, you're always asked to debate from the other person's point of view, you know, as a, as a way yeah. of learning how to debate properly. And uh, yeah. I think that's the same technique, isn't it? You know, it's easy to bolster your own idea and put those forward. But, you know, how, how can you see the other person's point of view? Because then you can become more effective yourself uh, in your own point of view. But it's a wonderful thing because I think it enables you to see all sides of the the, the picture of, of of life, right? The variety of life. Yeah, yeah, yes. Just just to put yourself in another person's shoes, and just to imagine, you know, what might they be feeling? What might what's going on in their life? What you know? Mm-hmm. How are they today? What are they looking for? And ultimately, you know, what we're all looking for is the same thing. You know, we're all looking to basically come back to self, come back. We want to be peaceful. We want to be happy. None of us want to suffer or anything like that. We don't want to be in pain. So, you know, putting yourself in another person's shoes is recognizing that deep down, 
they are just like us, just like us. They want the same things. And there's that they have that deep inner sense of being, that sense of self. They have that as well. But, you know, because of their history, their story, whatever it is, they're going about doing things in their way. But they, too, ultimately are somebody else, look, another being looking to be looking to be at peace. And so when we put, our, put ourselves in their shoes and see not only, you know, their, you know, their history and all, all that's made them who they are as an individual person, we can also put ourselves in their shoes and see who they are as their inner being and recognize, ah, deep down, we're all the same. Absolutely. Amen to that. Um, before we go, I, I got to uh, talk about the, one of your chapters because it's one of my favorite ideas, uh, the great trinity of Satchitananda, you know, which is uh, ah. truth, consciousness, bliss, which, you know, some people think is the nature of God, which it is to a degree, but it's also the nature of us and the creative process, right? Because it's really the... Yeah. It's the Holy Trinity looked at from an Eastern perspective, right? The the truth is is the Father um, or mind, we might say in unity. The um, shit is the consciousness of that truth, which is the which is Jesus, uh, the loving presence, the female presence, uh, you could say also. Um, and then Ananda is the uh, the the Holy Spirit pressing out into the world as, as life, as energy, as joy. And and this and when, when we're cooking with all these three qualities in our own being, you know, truth, consciousness, bliss, um, we're, tr we're truly happy and contented beings, right? We're remembering the, the creative process. Because I think that's how God creates. You know, God pushes out his truth in, into consciousness. Uh, they have a good laugh together and create joy, you know. And, and that's the way the universe is continually... Um, Every moment, right, continues to unfold. So uh, I love that chapter. I, I just love that con the concept of Satchitananda. Yes, and I mean, it, it, where it comes from in India, it originally, originally, it was a, if you look back into you know the Upanishads and things, it's a description of I. It's like what what is what is the self? It comes back right. you know, the inner I, and you know may, maybe we relate to that as the divine or God or whatever, but. It, it was relating to the inner eye and, the, and that inner sense of being is that is the truth. It is all it is always there. And in fact, the word sat means, you know, it's to do with being is, it's, it's you know, it's one of the senses of being of I am. It's that truth of I am being and and it is conscious. You know, I am conscious that that's the one thing we cannot deny is I am a conscious experiencing being and the Ananda is. It's interesting, Ananda is often translated as bliss, but its actual root meaning means deep contentment, deep, deep contentment, which I find a more interesting translation because bliss sometimes takes us off into thinking, oh, you know, some ecstatic, you know, experience that takes me out of myself. But great contentment, I think, is something we can relate to it. It's a, it's a less dynamic thing, but it's like, ah, yes, that, that deep contentment, that deep peace is what we're, we're really looking for in life. Yes. I like that. I like to use the word joy, you know, because it's, it's yes. a deep abiding yeah. joy, um, a general sense of well-being, uh, you know, like you saying, contentment, uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's a wonderful, uh, 
trinity to contemplate, I, th I find. And like many of these chapters, as we mentioned earlier in the uh, show, that they make wonderful uh, contemplative times just to take into your own meditation or quiet time or go for a walk and think about some of these some of these ideas. Um, let me tell you about next week's uh, show, and then I'm going to ask Peter if you'll give us some words of wisdom in the last minute to, uh, that we can take into our week. So I'll just put you on the line there, Peter. Um, next week, uh, author and journalist Judith Valente and Trappist monk brother Paul Quinnon uh, discuss their new book. Uh, it's called How to Be. Um, how to be a monk and a journalist reflect on living and dying, purpose and prayer, forgiveness and friendship. And that'll be my last show uh, before we take a break for Christmas uh, and we'll come back in the new year. So tune in for that next week. But right now, words of wisdom, Peter, that we, we can uh, live in our lives. We've already had a whole show of wisdom, but something, partic something particular that you think we might uh, could use this week. Um, yes, really just taking a little bit on what we were just talking about a minute or two ago, that we all ultimately want the same thing, which means none of us want to suffer, none of us want to be hurt, and we all want to be loved and respected. So just in whatever we do, however we relate to a person, always to hold in mind, how can I say this, be this way, so that the other person feels good upon receiving it? So that's I our intention, that. that the other person feels good and loved and respected. I love it. And our wish is that we hope that everybody that's listened today and will listen to this show has felt good, right? That we have, we have done some work about lifting uh, each and uh, every person, including ourselves. So thank you, Peter, for being on the show. Wonderful guest. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. And thanks for listening, folks. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 